the late uh, Billy Graham tells a story of uh, an early time in his ministry when uh, he arrived to a small town. He was an evangelist, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, and he did crusades, and he would share about um, how you come to know Jesus, how you come to know the Lord. And so on this one trip, he was in a small town, and um, he was going to preach a message or hold a crusade. And so before that evening, he wanted to mail a letter. And so he went into this town, and he was looking for the post office, and he couldn't find it anywhere. And so he ran into this uh, young boy, and he said, you know, where's the post office? And the boy said, oh, it's, you know, to the right and to the left. And he said, okay, thank you. And then uh, Billy Graham said, if you'll come to the Baptist church tonight, um, you can hear me telling everyone how to get to heaven. And the little boy said, uh, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know your way to the post office. <laughs> the question of how we get to heaven has consumed us for thousands of years. This has been a, one of the questions we wrestle with as humans. How do we, how do we process that? How do we deal with it? What, what, how do we prepare? And my dad told me about uh, campus evangelism they used to do. Back in the day, they would try to start spiritual conversations with people. And so they had a number of questions they'd ask. And one of the questions they liked to ask people was, if God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? What would you say? And people's answer, your answer, my answer, will say a lot about what we believe about how that happens, how we get to heaven. Now, this may or may not concern you because you're like, well, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. So that's what most concerns me right now is this. And that may be true, but this question should still apply to you. It should still affect you. And some of the ways it affects us right now in our life today is how do we live without the guilt and shame of our failures? How is God keeping track of my rights and my wrongs? And how does that work? Am I on the winning side of the right and the wrong thing? Is it a day-to-day calculator or a percentage? How does, it, how does it apply to me? What is my confidence that God will accept me today and when I die? That's the question. And Jesus tells a parable in the book of Luke, which we're going through, about how we can experience Confidence. What is our confidence? We sang the song today about confidence. So let's read together Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bible or you have it on an app, you can go there with me. Luke chapter 18, which is where we are, uh, verses 9 to 14. Verses 9 to 14. He also told this parable. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. We are... See, didn't, didn't that guy, didn't that sound like the voice I did? Okay, yeah, totally. That's how Pharisees talk. Just, you should have that in your head when you're reading. Uh, at least in Veggie Tales, yeah. Or in John's sermons. The big idea this morning is that we are confident to stand before God, not because of our works, but because of Jesus. We're confident to stand before God, not because of our works, but because of Jesus. Now, we have a big problem, and the problem affects us maybe more than it affected them because Jesus is talking to a crowd of mostly Jewish people. There there might be a few Gentiles in the mix, non-Jewish people who are there listening, but most of them were Jewish, and the majority of them would have gone to the synagogue every week, and if they didn't every week, at least they did when they were younger, it was the, the thing everyone did, and so maybe they missed or whatever. They were good at going to synagogue or not, but, but the, they would have gone, and they would have known a lot about the Torah, the law of God, and they would have known the story of God. And some of these people listening to Jesus were Pharisees. Those were people who memorized the law and the prophets, and they had it in their mind that they were part of this group who was going to keep the law. They were going to do whatever it took to please God. And so they worked and they studied and they applied themselves to keeping the law. And so in society, they were considered like, whoa, very spiritual, religious people that were doing it right. And some of the people listening to Jesus were outcasts. They came and they were, you know, the tax collectors, there's former prostitutes. They're the people who were cast out, who would consider themselves kind of the, the failout ones. But all of these people would have started with an understanding, the understanding about God and about their problem. And that's something that we need to talk about before we dive in. Because people today will say, why do I need to be justified? I'm pretty good. I do all right. I'm a pretty decent person. Maybe I help the poor or I'm kind or I pick up litter or I recycle or I say I'm sorry or I give generously to different charities. I'm pretty decent. And I think some of us, especially in our culture, we have this idea that maybe at the end of time or when we die, God's going to line up everyone. I've used this story before, but I think we have this idea that God's going to line us all up from the best to the very worst. And we'll all be in this line somewhere, you know, down at that end is Mother Teresa and whoever other saints we could name that would be down at that end. There's not a lot of people down there. And then down here, you got Hitler and the serial killers and everyone else. And we're in the middle somewhere hoping, you know, we're in this group. I'm way up here with Mother Teresa, though, just so you know, in case you're trying to place me in the line. That's where I always place myself. And we're in the line somewhere. And we kind of have this idea that God is going to say, hey, everybody, attention, attention. Yeah, we got two places we need to populate. We've got heaven and we've got the other place we don't want to mention. And so to be fair, we're going we're gonna to just divide you in half. And you, this half, the top half, the, you guys get to go to heaven. And the bottom half, like, sorry, this is the consolation prize is hell. And so we spend our whole life trying to make sure we're in the top half. Because if I can just be better than that guy, 
then I know, you know, I, pro- I have a good chance of making it. And this is our idea. The problem is, this isn't a thing from the Bible. This isn't a Bible story description of how it's going to go. Many years ago, I was speeding down Dudney Trunk Road. I may or may not have been in a heated discussion with my wife. There's no proof or recording. And as I was speeding down Dudney Trunk Road, possibly in a heated discussion, I heard, Pull over the vehicle. There's the police. Pull over your vehicle. And I said, some guy's getting pulled over. Too bad. (laughs) And uh, I looked in the rearview mirror, and sure enough, the kids were all in the van too. Yes, the kids were in the van. And dad, dad, there's a police car. There's a police car. And so on Dudney Trunk Road, what do you do? Do you pull over in the busy four-lane road? I I couldn't do it. So I I pulled into the nearest parking lot that there was, and it happened to be our church parking lot, (laughs) Maple Ridge Community Church at the time where I worked. And so I pulled into the parking lot and sure enough, it looks like people are coming to the window to check out who got pulled over. At that moment, the kids are crying, dad, you're going to go to jail. The preschool that, that used to meet in Maple Ridge Community Church, which I did their chapel for every week, the preschool was coming back from a walk and they came and they walked right in front of the van and the kids are waving. Hey, there's Pastor John. And I was sitting there, and then sure enough, the policeman comes over and knocks on the window. And I roll down the window. The kids are like quietly crying now. And the policeman says the question that, that all policemen ask you when they pull you over, which is, do you know why I pulled you over? Do, you know, do I know why you pulled me over? No, I'm innocent. You know what? I could argue with him that I don't normally speed. And actually, you know, eight out of ten times I'm obeying all the traffic rules. And when I come to lots, there's lots of stop signs. I stop at, you know, a good half of those stop signs. Some of them are California, but like lots of them, I'm really good probably the majority of the time. I'm obeying the traffic rules. I could make this case for, for myself. I could say, you know, I drive the speed limit a lot. The problem is, I am guilty. I'm guilty. I was speeding. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So you know what? If we are in that line and God is standing there and God is addressing the line of humanity from the best to the very worst, God will say, whoever is perfect, whoever has not fallen short of my glorious standard, step out of line. Come. Come with me. And of course, we will shuffle a little bit. We might like nudge each other. Are you going to go? No. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, well, I'm thinking about it. In the end, no no one's going to step out of line. Because we all know none of us are perfect. We've all blown it. Jesus tells this insane story about what we owe God. What we owe God. And it's the story of the unmerciful debtor, it's called. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And it's this story of a, a king who is owed 
debts and he's reviewing the debts that are owed to him. And so he's going through the checklist and he finds out someone owes him 10,000 talents. And so he calls that person in and that person stands before the king and the king says, hey, you owe me 10,000 talents. You know, you need to pay up. And the guy's like, I'll pay you every penny. Just give me a chance. Just please, please, please. Just, you know, don't throw me in jail. Just give me a chance. And the king says, let's just erase it. There's no way you're going to pay it. So just go. And then that guy goes off. And he goes to his friend's house, someone who owed him a hundred denarii. And he says, hey, you need to pay me. I want to have a party about the debt I just got canceled. So give me the money. I need some money. And the guy says, no, I don't have the money. And so he takes that guy and he throws him in jail until he can pay the debt. And the king finds out, brings that guy back and says, I forgave you a huge debt and you can't forgive someone a small debt. What's the deal? That's the story. Now, the part I feel like we get lost in translation is 10,000 talents and 100 denarii. I think of it like, oh, that must be like $10,000 and $100. But that's not what it's like. 10,000 talents? Do you know what 10,000 talents is? It's like, I just did the math again to be sure. $10 billion. $10 billion. One Talent is 20 years wages. 20 years wages. And if you add it all up, it ends up being around $10 billion. This guy owes the king $10 billion. <laughs> what a joke. And then the guy comes in and says, hey, hey, I, I want to pay you. I want to pay you. $10 billion. Do you know how big $10 billion is? If you were going to count to $1 billion, it, for 12 hours a day, you made this your job. You were going to count to $1 billion. For 12 hours a day, do you know how long it would take you? 50 years. 50 years to count to 1 billion. You know the, the lottery? Sometimes you're driving in the gas station, you see the little lottery sign. I say, oh, 15 million. I'm like, you know what I could do with 15 million? A lot. 15 million. I could do a lot with 15. What about you? 15 million? Do you know how many times you'd have to win that lottery to get to 10 billion? 666 times. If you won the $15 million, 666 times, you would be at 10 billion. Do you know what if you said, I'm going to pay back the 10 billion? Do you know how long it would take you? If you worked a 40-year work life and you were paid an average wage, you would have to work 5,000 lifetimes to pay $10 billion. This is not a debt you and I can pay. That's the picture. It's laughable that the guy says he's going to try. Our sin is entered in a record against us like a debt that we owe God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the penalty of sin is death. Ephesians 2 chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 1. In the message says, it wasn't so long ago you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a lot of us. I love this. What we were doing, what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. Doesn't that sound like the description of sin? I'm just doing what I feel like when I feel like doing it. 
So you can see the importance of the question, how are we going to be justified? Because there's a big problem that we have. The Amplified Bible explains justified this way. It says, justified is to be forgiven of the guilt of sin and placed in right standing with God. And that to me sounds pretty good. If I could have that, that sounds pretty good. That I would be forgiven of the guilt of sin and be in right standing with God. That sounds good. That sounds like what I want. Galatians 3.22 says, The scriptures declare we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. The words used to describe us, mired, lost, prisoners, we've fallen short of the standard. We stand accused by justice in the court of heaven. So what's our defense? What are we going to, how are we going to explain ourselves? How are we going to answer the charges? Why should God let us into relationship with them? The best part is the, the rest of Ephesians chapter two. The next, very next, it says, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a lot of us. And then the very next thing says, instead, instead of losing his temper and destroying us all, instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us and he took our sin dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Ah, but I will help him. But I will help him. Won't you? God needs a little bit of help on this one, right? This is our fruitless attempt. Many, many, many of us, maybe all of us, at some point have tried this. Now, here's what it's like. Lauren wants to go to Hawaii really badly. She's never gone to go to Hawaii. This is true. She'll not. Yes, this is a true story. She's here to validate my story. At least this part of it. Now, don't say anything more. She wants to go to Hawaii. And for our 10-year anniversary, we said, let's, go, let's plan to go to Hawaii at our 10-year. And then you married 10 years. You're like, well, that went really fast, and we have no money. So let's do that for our 20th, maybe. <laughs> that seems really far away, too, right? And it's always like some point far away. So, you know, my thought is like, everyone wants to go to Hawaii, right? Let's just agree on that. Everyone wants to go to Hawaii. So what if... Instead of all this just wanting to go, what if the government of BC said, hey, we are all going to go together to Hawaii, and the best, most economical way to do that would be for everyone to swim to Hawaii. And so we all get into this. We get shirts made. We're going to Hawaii, and everyone's in. You know, we get the, like, bands are going to be, be there on the day, and we're, everyone's in swimming lessons. We're like, we're getting ready. And on the day, you know, everyone goes down to White Rock or Point Roberts, you know, right there where we could all have access to the ocean. And we're all on the beach and everyone's so excited. And we got our special bathing suits and everything. And the bands are playing. And everyone's like, and everyone's like jumping in the water. We start swimming. You and I know both what's going to happen next, right? People are going to start to drown. This is not a good story. <laughs> First, it's, it'd be the non-swimmers and the weak or the injured. They're going to drown. And then it's like the leisure swimmers, those people just swimming around at the pool. They're going to drown next. And be the swim club kids, those guys, they're, you should see them go. They just go and go and go. You know, they'd be way out there, swim club kids. But eventually, swim club too. Man, how far can they go? And then we'd have the triathlon people. Those, they can swim pretty far, right? Or the Ironman. 
Yes, finally, it's just it's these Iron Man people. Do you know how far? They can swim for, usually they swim for about an hour and 20 minutes. 3.86 kilometers for an Iron Man. That's a long way to swim. And they're out there swimming. But eventually, the Iron Man people, they're going to drown too. Until it's just Penny Palfrey. You know who Penny is? You ignorant people. <laughs> Penny Palfrey set the unassisted endurance swim record. Penny. She's this mom. 112 kilometers she could swim. Unassisted means she doesn't get in the boat ever to rest. She just is swimming. Incredible. 112 kilometers out, maybe 115. Maybe she gets it. I don't know. She gets way out there. Eventually, Penny, too, drowns. Till it's just... Veljko Rogosik. Do you know Veljko? He set the open sea endurance record, no flippers. Do you know how far? He can swim for 50 hours, 225 kilometers. This guy. And then he drowns too, because Hawaii is 3,846 kilometers from California. It's 4,351 kilometers from Vancouver, you guys. Why would you even think we could swim there? This is what we're talking about. You can't swim to Hawaii. It's impossible. And I did look it up to make sure. We weren't like someone was close. 225 kilometers. That's how close we are. 4,351, because we live in Vancouver. Luke tells us this is the point of the story, you guys. For those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, or the NIV says, who were confident of their own righteousness. The Bible is so clear on this point. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He said it three times in that one. You can't do it. Trying to be justified by what you do, your works, puts you in a system in which you can't win. You can't win. The system of the law is meant to show you that you can't measure up. You can't do it. It's like trying to swim to Hawaii. When someone is offering you a free plane ticket, that's what it's like. No, 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 I'm going to swim. I got this one. I got a really good suit. I can do it. It's a free ticket. Why doesn't works work? Why doesn't work work? This guy says, I fast twice a week. The Pharisee, he's there. He's, I fast twice a week. I, I focus on prayer. I don't eat. And I pray. That sounds really spiritual. Everyone's doing that every week, Right? Twice a week, right? I do it four times a week. And I just lied, so I'm in trouble. 
I give tithes of all I have. That's what we're talking about, giving a portion of your income back to God to acknowledge that he's Lord of everything. This guy's, I give my tithe. Why doesn't it work? Number one, good works don't cancel out bad works. That's not how it works. Do you like how many times I said works? This isn't the karma system where we try to balance out the giant scale by doing a little bit more good. Oh, I did something bad. Okay, do a little bit more good. Do a lot more good. Whoa, yeah, it's tilting in my favor now. That's not how it works. You aren't earning cosmic brownie points somewhere or earning your way to sainthood. If you can just get there before you die or when you die, you'll be a saint. It doesn't work like that. Secondly, you'll never feel sure If you live under works, you never feel sure. Earning God points only feels good until the next thing that happens. And then, okay, now I got to make sure, I got to make sure, I got to make sure. It's like getting on a speeding treadmill that suddenly goes faster and faster. And you're like going and then someone's pushing up the button and you're going faster and a little bit faster, a little bit faster. Until you fly off the back of the treadmill. Maddie is a a good example of, she works really hard in school, and she went from elementary school to, I asked her if I could share this, went from elementary school to high school where suddenly you get grades. And so she's a hard worker, and she does really well, and so suddenly she was getting these awesome grades, and I saw her grades coming back, and I was like, this is insane. You're my child? Like, I can't even believe you get such good grades. This is crazy. And then the next day, after the report card, it's like, can you get 103%? in something with bonus points you can this is what i'm talking about the next project maddie comes down she's stressed out i'm really worried about this i'm really stressed about this thing i'm like 103 what like don't even do it <laughs> like just don't do your work you should just coast till lauren comes in and t- takes her out of the room you know like don't talk to dad anymore he's in one of those moods This is how it is for us, though. You get on this thing, and it doesn't matter what you do because it always, you feel this anxiety. But then what about the next thing? I got to do more, and 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 it never stops. Thirdly, works breeds boasting. When we get our worth from the gold stars, it's almost impossible not to begin to puff out a little bit. Yeah, I wear my medals on my shirt. Every day, look at them all. Whoa, got this one in Sunday school. Got this one Bible memorization. Check it out. Look at my shirt, right? That's what we're like. Jesus says, this is who he's talking to. Those who treated others with contempt or looked down on everyone else. This guy, the Pharisee guy says, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Him who? He's looking around in, in church, in the temple. Yeah, who can I look at? Yeah, I'm, I'm better than that guy. I won't talk about that guy over there, but I'm better than this guy. And we get this sense of like, oh, I'm so awesome. Or he could have prayed, but for the grace of God, go I. That would be a different prayer. And Jesus is talking to us, to you and to me, to some of us. I mean, not everyone connects to the Pharisee. If you didn't grow up in church or you're not even sure if you believe all this, you probably are like, I'm not the Pharisee. I don't connect with that guy. But a lot of us do. Jesus is talking to some of us. You're on the works treadmill if you struggle, you haven't done enough. When you struggle with works justification, you feel a lot of shame. You carry this shame. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And often we talk about being a good Christian or a bad Christian. 
And it's all about what we're doing. So I did this, yes, I'm a good Christian today. Oh, I did this, yeah, I'm not a good, I'm a bad Christian this week. We talk like that. Secondly, you're on the works treadmill if you feel like you're better than everyone else or most people. And you kind of walk around, you're like, well, I'm doing pretty good here. You compare a lot. Hey, I, like I'm doing better than them. Or, and maybe not them. Okay, I need to do better than them. Jesus, help me to do better than them. Help me to be better than them, more spiritual. And we go around comparing. The problem with this is that you judge and then you're going to start hiding. You hide your struggles, preferring to appear holy so that you can move up your little system that you've got going on. You whitewash your brokenness, preferring to pretend transformation because I don't want to look like I'm moving down the ladder that I created in my mind. I need to move up the ladder, and that means looking better and better no matter what's going on for real. We need to recognize we're on this treadmill, and then we need to choose a different way. The question is, do you want to swim to Hawaii, or do you want to fly for free? Because there is the gift of grace. There was a successful CEO, wealthy, rich guy, just was, had done so well, and he took his wife on the Sunday drive, and so they're out in the country, and she's like, oh, I grew up in a town just over there, and so he's like, let's go through the town. So they drive through this town, and uh, they stop at the gas station, and he goes into the restroom, and as he comes out, he sees her talking to the gas station guy, and he doesn't think much. He gets in the car, and she gets in, and then they start driving again, and she says, hey, wouldn't you know it, that guy at the gas station, he was my high school sweetheart. We dated pretty seriously through high school. And the CEO was like, well, aren't you lucky? If you hadn't met me, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of a CEO. And the wife looked at him and said, no, my dear, if I hadn't met you and I'd married him, he would be the CEO and you'd be the gas station guy. (laughs) Aren't we like the CEO, though? Don't we like think everything's happening because of us? Isn't that how we are? Like, everything great is like, I'm great. That's why everything's great. Until someone else adjusts your perspective and suddenly you realize, well, maybe it's not me that's so great in all of these situations. Maybe it's God or it's someone else doing something. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I started thinking about that and I started thinking, who is God proudest of who is God proudest of when we, you look through the Bible who are the people God is like yes they were my that was my guy that was my girl those were my people and I started thinking about this are they the, the purest or the most religious are they the best rule followers or the best law keepers well they really kept my law the best is that who it is I look at Hebrews 11 where there's a list In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the writer says this list of people impressed God with their faith, with how they trusted him. Do you know who's on the list? There's a drunk. There's a liar. There's a doubter. There's a trickster. There's two murderers. There's a prostitute, a wimp, a womanizer, an oath breaker, an adulterer, and a bunch of crazy prophets. 
That's the list. I'm looking at the list. I'm thinking, what? This is the list? Is there a secret handshake you got to know and you just get on the list or like a special knock? How are these people justified before God? How do they get in? 1 Corinthians says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that when we get in there and we stand before him in his eternal glory, we won't be like, hey, yeah, have you checked out all the great stuff I did, God? Check it out. Actually, this story is we'll all be on our face. We'll fall on our face before him. The challenge is that you need to humble yourself to receive grace. You need to humble yourself. But you don't humble yourself when you're confident of your own righteousness. We won't do it. Why is there a tax collector in this story? These guys, they're hated. If you don't know about tax collectors in first century Jerusalem, Palestine, the, these, were pe- these were people, they were like the parasites that fed off the Roman power, the Roman overlord. These were people who they would work, they're Jewish people who worked for Rome collecting taxes. And because they had Roman soldiers behind them, authority, they could charge whatever they wanted. And Rome didn't care as long as they paid their share to Rome. So they could up or down, whatever they feel like. And often it was up. The price was up, high. So these people, they're traitors and thieves and outcasts. They're scum. And he knew it. When the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. Be merciful. Whenever I hear the words be merciful, I kind of think of like, be nice. I don't know if you think that. (laughs) It's just me. I think of like, be nice to me, God. Be nice to me. I don't deserve it, but be nice to me. Or maybe it's like, ignore my faults, even though I'm really bad and I'm a sinner, just please ignore my faults. Do you know what be merciful means? Let's do some Greek. Okay, you all ready for a language lesson? Here's the language lesson. This this be merciful. So in the language Luke wrote it, this is Greek, helaskomai. Helaskomai is how you say it. Go ahead and say it with me. Helaskomai. You've got to be able to say it if you're going to impress your friends. Helaskomai. Halaskamai means to atone for sin, to be propitious. That's a word you're going to have to look up. Be merciful or make reconciliation for. So then I looked at it and I said, oh, this word is also somewhere else in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. Do you know where it is? It's here in this verse. It's about Jesus. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, I looked at that and I thought, oh, so the word halaskamai must be merciful, right? There's mercy right there, right? A merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is merciful. He's halaskamai. No, you would be wrong. Just like I was. Do you know where it is? It's to make propitiation. Do you know what this means? 
It's not be nice to me. It's make reconciliation for me. It's make atonement. It's justify me. I can't justify myself. I need someone else to do the action for me. Romans 3, 23 and 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. There's that word again. We're learning two words today, which means atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. You know what this means? It means we trust Jesus. That's what it means. The one who became a faithful high priest to make reconciliation, to reconcile us, to pay our debt, to justify him, to justify us, to offer himself, to make peace, to save us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Last week, I told you that someone had given us a new car. Now, the way that worked is, I had a friend who called me up, and he and his wife were moving, and he said, hey, we would like to give you our 2015 Kia Rio. And I said, like a car? Kia Rio, like a car? And he said, yeah, like the car. We want to give you our car. We're moving to the U.S. We couldn't import the car, and we prayed. And my wife and I, we felt like we were supposed to give you the car. Would you? How do you feel about that? And I said, I don't know what to say. And he said, well, you can talk it over with Lauren and you know, discuss whether you like to do that or not together, and then it'd probably be good, and then you can get back to me. And I said, okay. And then we hung up the phone, and I was like, why did I say that? Why didn't I just say, yes, give it to me. Give it to me right now. Yes. But what if I never called him back? What if I never said, yes, we'll take it? He says, we're giving you the car. I say, thanks. I'll talk about it with my wife. And I never get back to him. What if I did get back to him and I said, you know what? I like to work for what I get. So no thank you. I'm going to work for my own car. I will not take anything from anyone. <laughs> well, we've said that before, haven't we? Some of us. What if I said, I've already got a car. My 2002 Cavalier. It's great. You know what? It's good. I'm good. I'm good. We need to respond. The gift of grace is offered. The flight is free. Take the ticket. It's right there. But we need to respond. We need to say, yes, I'll take it. Do you want the car? Yes, I want the car. I'll have it. And we choose to be justified by receiving God's gift of grace, not by something we do. We are confident to stand before God, not because of our works, but because of Jesus. So what will we say? If God says, why should I let you into heaven? Maybe you're still pondering that question like, okay, but I want to know what I would say. And the answer is, you might say, number one, I know that I owe a debt. I know that I'm not perfect. We aren't perfect. We failed to measure up to God's exacting standard and we've broken his law and we owe a debt to justice. 
And secondly, we recognize we're not going to get there by what we do, by our works. We can't swim to Hawaii. We understand being better isn't going to be good enough. We don't just earn our way into God's good favor because of our good behavior. In fact, it only makes us proud to think that we've done it. But thirdly, we trust Jesus. Jesus paid for us. And we rely on the sacrifice of Jesus. And we claim his free gift of grace, forgiveness for our sin, payment for our debt. So when I stand in the glory light of God and I'm on my face and I hear God's voice say, why should I let you in? I will say, Jesus, Jesus, where's Jesus? I'm with Jesus. Let's pray.